All right, so uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Today uh, I've got my good buddy Trent Anderson, who we just met a couple days ago. He's coming in from Bangkok, and he's actually doing a site redesign now with my friend John Myers, who was who was on the show before too. And so he runs a site called Anderson-BD.com, uh, B-E-A-T-T-I-E, and he also has a couple other gemstone sites. But what I found interesting about him was that he started all of his businesses with just one dollar, and then I think now he's doing well over a million. So today we're going to talk about his journey, kind of how he got started, and kind of what's uh, his whole story. So Trent. What's going on? Hi, welcome. <laughs> so you're a little more reserved than we were, you know, 10 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. A little bit nervous. Yeah, so uh, so I guess uh, I told everyone you have a site called Anderson BD. You also have, I think, six or seven other sites, right? So right. real general quick notch. So what are they all about? Right, so I'm in the gem and jewelry business. I've got eight businesses in total. So Anderson BD is a relatively new site, actually. It's, it's an Opal website selling Opal and Opal jewelry. Uh, from Australia only and I partnered with a really important guy Sir Rodney Beatty who's the world's uh, finest cutter of gemstones and, and opal in particular that's my most recent work uh, some of the older uh, sites that I have that are more established is rainbowsapphirejewelers.com uh, that's kind of cool that's a website that sells sapphires in every color of the rainbow and we source those sapphires from like 24 different mines across the world mm-hmm. put them all together in a graduation representing the rainbow and is selling them in the, in the jewelry itself uh, and then some of the older works is uh, sites like uh, zavaritegreengarnet.com, Shedarsoft, which is an Etsy store, um, HercumaDiamondQuartz.com. So they're all like crystal, gemstone, um, and jewelry websites. So how do you break into this market anyways? Because I think now you have a lot of people on Etsy making their handcrafted stuff. Right. What was this market like when you first started almost like eight years ago? When I first started my first website, I didn't have an inventory. So what I did is I, I only had a camera. I was somewhat of a freelance photographer just going around Southeast Asia, backpacking and uh, scuba diving Indonesia and Philippines and Thailand. And then when I came to Thailand, I, have a, I had a diving accident. I couldn't fly back to Australia, so I was stuck in Bangkok for a few months. It was just me and a camera, and I was down to my last dollar. So I took my camera. I thought, oh, well, I don't have any inventory, and I have no experience in this business, but I thought maybe I can sell a few things. So I took my camera, and I went around to these different jewelry stores on Silom Road, and I said to the owners of the store, listen, let me take a photo of your jewelry. I'll try and sell it online somehow. When it sells, can we agree to a price? I put the item up on eBay, and I created an OS Commerce website. Lo and behold, I'm in business, you know, with, mm-hmm. with zero experience, with zero expertise. You were down to your last dollar. Literally down to my you, last what dollar. What made you think e-commerce instead of, like, saying teaching English? Because I think... That's what a lot of people tend to resort to, right? I think kind of as a skill set. Well, I had a camera and a laptop. I don't know. I just got into the online business. I think it was much more of an option for me than, than teaching English. I can, yeah. I can barely speak it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see about this later in this recording. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you go to these jewelers. Do they actually give you a price first or do you just kind of guess? Yeah. No, they will get, so I would take some photos. I'd take my little studio in there and all my studio was was like a couple pieces of A4 paper mm-hmm. and then a couple of little uh, lamps that I would clip onto an yeah, end of a table. Like a desk or something. Yeah. Like yeah. And then I would take like five photos. So how, how they established the price is straight up that everyone was giving me between um, 30 to sort of 40% off the retail value of uh, within the store. Mm-hmm. And then as my sales increased, the percent off, the retail value got up to like 65 and 75% off. Wow. So it became much more attractive. So I lowered my prices and um, started to sell more volume. But these items were no joke. Most of the items I first started selling were like in the price point, $1,000 to sort of $5,500 per item. Really? So just right off the bat on eBay? They were no joke to begin with. Yeah, on wow. eBay. Yeah. And how did you know this was legit? Because I think you didn't really have any experience in the industry. I had right? no idea. So you just said it was $1,000, $5,000 because you kind of just 
thought it was that much? Or? Well, I, I only sold it for the item, for the price they had it advertised in their store. So gotcha. if they had it advertised in their retail location as 5500 then I sold I it for 5500 My profit was the difference between what, what their retail value and was got, and the discount that oh, they gave I me. See. And then it got bigger and bigger over time. As yeah, you my inventory increased. And, and um, what I did different to everyone else is I set up videos. So I was taking, I got a, a little small uh, rotation platform. It was like a mirror. And I was videoing the pieces of jewelry going around 360 degrees yeah i was the first website back in the day to have my entire inventory with these videos i mean today it's very common yeah with my new opal website andersonbd.com you see i've taken it to a different level so this was like uh, what people were really interested in like how does someone buy something online for five and a half thousand dollars ten years ago it was really really difficult for people to make yeah. that decision so i think the difference between me and everyone else was these videos yeah and i believe that was the key in me becoming successful and this was 2006 ish yeah 2005 december 2005 is when i when i first set up my ebay store and in 2006 is when i made pretty much it took me about nearly nine months to make my first sale Nine months. Yeah, just and you were down to your grinding. first dollar. So what were you doing then? Oh, I was just hustling. Yeah, <laughs> selling a couple of other small items. From I went down the Chinatown, was buying items for like three cents and selling them for a dollar ninety nine. Yeah, I won't get into what they were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess you make your first sale. When do you realize that this is actually sustainable? Do the sales just keep coming in? Or I had no idea. It was. It's really sporadic. I mean, mm. what I realize now is we're in the third quarter every year. You don't make money. Yeah. Uh, all the magic happens in the fourth quarter and the first quarter every every year. So it was re- sales were really sporadic. I just kept increasing my inventory, going to new stores, showing in my statistics and saying, look, I take these items and out of every 50 items I take a photo of, within two weeks I can sell one, I can mm. sell two, I can sell three. So it increased my inventory based on my previous history, my sales mm. history. And then what I started to do was, instead of my top selling items, I'd started to manufacture through them. Mm. So instead of like just walking in there and saying, okay, here's this one item, I would say, okay, now I want 10. Give me a, a different price point. So I would save a lot more money that way. I started you, investing my own money in the product. And you would go directly to the retailer saying you want to buy or would you reroute behind them to the supplier? Well, the retailers in, in Salem Road are the, are the manufacturers oh, okay. as well. You see, they, they, they source the stones. They mm-hmm. buy from the open market in, in Chanthaburi or Bangkok. They're manufacturing themselves. They've got small workshops in and around Salem Road and then they're also retailing themselves. So it's a all-stop. One, in, one, one stop yeah, shop. Yeah. One stop shop. Yeah, so how did you educate yourself with all the stones? Because I know there's all these different kinds. Uh, and- yeah. So what ended up happening is I ended up part- partnering with a with a quite a large company, like a billion dollar company in Chanthaburi, who in the day was one of the largest buyers of rough material in Eastern Africa. And so they have 12 international partners in this company. And I went to this factory. I caught a bus there like twice a week, just absorbed myself into this factory and and hanging around the people that were in this factory. Yeah. And they were the best in the field, and I was just learning off them. And in, by just by being there, there was interesting people coming through, like Professor Dr. Henry Hanny, all these other interesting uh, guys that were like the top of their top of their game. And it was just my curiosity that allowed me to to learn more and more and more and more about the gemstones. And I didn't even realize that within a couple of years, I was like I could tell the difference between fake and and real, which sometimes yeah. takes people a lifetime. Yeah. Just absorbing myself into that environment. When you talk about fake and real. Are your consumers able to tell too, or because I don't know if most people have this kind of knowledge, right? No, it's yeah. a real long. Well, I guess it leads to my next question: like, if they don't know what's real or fake, how can they plop down like a one k, five k on like jewelry or? Yeah, good question. I'm not sure how they how they had the confidence back in the day mm-hmm. to do it. I think it was just based on like eBay reputation. I yeah. always had hundred percent, and I've been on eBay since two thousand and three. 
but that was from selling things previously. But since 2006, when I've sold, I have 100% feedback. I think mm. like good feedback on eBay and not selling like high volume um, of items, but just selling like high value items and yeah. very few of them and getting good feedback they could see back in the day. It was fully transparent back in the day. It's a mm. lot more tricky now. But yeah. when you see an item for $5,000 being sold and $7,000 being sold and they're giving positive feedback, they get a lot of confidence from that and gives them the ability to make the, the decision and purchase. Yeah, like the feedback is the selling point, no longer what you write in the copy or yeah. know, because it's such a high price. Item. Yeah, you know, I noticed the trend on eBay that everyone that purchased absolutely looked at feedback. Yeah. Absolutely spent 30 minutes in my store browsing around. You know, they, they there was like these definite things that people did in before they spent $5,000. And did you have like a phone number for people to call you? or Never. And they no. would just buy this. Wow, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, so it even happens today. Like, I do have a phone number in the US, but I only receive out of all... I've got eight companies, mm-hmm. um, and we only receive, like, two phone calls a day. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that if people are asking these questions all the time, then that information should be put back into the listing. Yeah. It should be put back into the yeah. site so that you're eliminating those phone calls. The yeah. trust should be there. Like, if you're getting the same questions over and over, you should be fixing your website copy exactly. so it doesn't happen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. So you mentioned you had eight businesses, but before we get there... You were in Thailand just hustling and you talked with suppliers to try to source their top sellers. How did you go from there to like eight stores? It's so diverse, the gem and jewelry business. It's, yeah. it's massive. The scope is just out of this world. And I realized that I started to get into like a diamond jewelry and I had no success and I, I couldn't work out why. I thought the quality of the jewelry was fantastic. I thought the price was fair. But the problem is, is that you have 10,000 other competitors. It was too broad. Everyone else is doing it. So I started doing only blue sapphires, you know, only rubies, only emeralds. And again, I realized I failed there because everyone else was doing it. They had more money on marketing. Yeah. They had more money to spend on, on, on every Bill aspect boards, of the business. Posters, oh, absolutely. Ads, absolutely. Like that, right? And I was on a shoestring budget. Yeah. So I realized real quickly that that wasn't the path I wanted to go down. So because the, the, par- the partner of, at the factory was the largest buyer of rough material in Africa, I realized that these rare and hard to find minerals no one else could source and so I started to buy small quantities of them and trickled them out online and the response was overwhelming no one else can buy this therefore yeah. I should hoard this material exactly. so I started becoming like a gemstone hoarder yeah. of certain uh, species of, of, um, of varieties of gemstones if you think about it, how many people can go into East Africa and just start mining stones like a handful of people maybe handful no of companies, it's interesting but... anyone can do it yeah, I mean, mums and pops and families can go down. Oh, really? I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, I so. mean, some stones, um, you know, wash down creek beds. And mm-hmm. Some stones are a big production. Yeah. But anyone can do it, I think, in Eastern Africa. Yeah. But just back then, you had the contact with the supplier that gave you this edge. Right. When you buy inventory for stones, I guess stones, is there's not like unlimited quality, like cotton. You can just make... 10,000 tons of cotton right? right like stones is probably more limited what does that market look like when you're sourcing like do you always have to buy ahead of the cycle like do you put money on front and then they find the stone or like how does that work I, I i don't think about that yeah i would walk into the factory and whatever they had in front of me mm-hmm. i would i would have my laptop next to me and i would google that no one was selling that cool that's what i want gotcha so i would have a standing order on that stone let's take for example tuffyite it's the fourth or fifth rarest mineral found on the earth mm-hmm and so back in the day, I was buying taffyite for $20 a carat. So I would have a standing order with my factory to say, okay, anything up to $250 a carat, I want to own. Yeah. So for the next 12 months, I would hoard that material. Gotcha. And then I would create a line or, or, or a line of jewelry or I would sell the, the loose gemstones 
mm-hmm. based around what they had. You can't forecast the product you just can't but they're so rare it's it's very difficult to to think that way yeah i would just buy the rarest of material and work it out later yeah and has there ever been any cases where you bought the stones and then you couldn't figure out the business model or has it it always worked (laughs) no it's eight businesses it's just insane i think the more niche you are uh the easier it is and i guess even if you can't figure it out. You can always resell the stones. I Absolutely. Guess. That's a la- last resort, right? Right. There's a, there's a website I'm selling right now, zavaraigringana.com, mm-hmm. where the site itself has never made a sale. Mm-hmm. But this is an idea where I've been hoarding stones for seven years. I yeah. own a massive inventory of Zavarai Green Garnet. Yeah. It's a variety of garnet that's only green. Mm-hmm. And it's only from like two mines in the world, from Madagascar, uh, mm-hmm. from Tanzania, I'm sorry, and Kenya. So I've collected all these gemstones, production quality, really high-end rare quality, of the Zavarite uh, green garnet stone. Build jewelry and sell the loose gemstone. Yeah. Um, but I never got around to doing it. But no, there's never been a case where it doesn't work. Yeah. I just buy the material, create a site, and then sell it. Gotcha. So now you have eight sites, and we were talking earlier how you want to focus on your main ones. So uh, I guess let's go into Rainbow Sapphire. When, how did this one start? Rainbow Sapphire Jewelers. Um, the factory, because they were sourcing so much sapphire from mm-hmm. 2040 from mines across the world, they started to create the rainbow lines. The factory came up with the idea yeah. to create these lines. Just because they had so many stones. Yeah, they put them together. It was so beautiful. That mm-hmm. comes in like square. It came in round. And so when I saw that, I looked online and there was no one else doing it. I was like, wow, that's a really great idea. So I started just selling the loose stones to begin with. Uh, seven pieces of rainbow sapphire, one of every color. And I was like, well, why not put that into jewelry? I was selling gemstones for, for, for quite a while. And then I started manufacturing, actually, for the first time, my own jewelry. Yeah. I started designing by myself, started creating my own line. I just bought the rainbow sapphires and started off with the most simple, classic styles and put the rainbow sapphires in there, and they sold. And yeah. so now, all of a sudden, you go from being a middleman into... Yeah. And now all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, all of a sudden I'm a designer. It was crazy. Yeah. The, the transition was overnight. And it's interesting because you're basically just bundling a bunch of stones together into a new product, right? Because yeah. if you sold these individually, you had to compete with There's no value. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, no there's no value, value in the blue yeah. to sell that size yeah. in the blue. And there's no value in selling that size in the yellow. But yeah. the moment you put them together, yeah, it's, it's really it's unique. It's got a different whole spectrum of colors. Yeah, and, and no one else can do it because what happens is... is th- People can go to an open market and buy the blue, buy the red, buy the green, buy the purple, buy the pink, because then the cutting is all different. You see, because yeah, like they the cut by different. The, yeah. Right. The, the 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 square is not just a square. It needs to be the same uh, table height between mm. the girdle and the top, and it needs mm. to be specific cutting in order to be manufactured consistently. So the beautiful thing with the factory is that they're buying all these different colors. They're cutting it all uniform, mm-hmm. so that it makes manufacturing. Really, really easy. So yeah, they ha- they created this for me, and all I did was I took that, and put it in, put it into a piece yeah. of jewelry. Yeah, and, and for someone it. to even copy this, you need to cut every stone, like you said, in the same shape for it to work. To for someone sense. to copy this idea, yeah. I think it would take hundreds of thousands of dollars just to buy the range of sapphire from yeah. the mines and and cut it in uniform in the same factory. Yeah. Really difficult to replicate, yeah. almost impossible. Which yeah. is why I'm so confident going into this project. Yeah, and you've been running this store for how long? I've had this store for about six years, gotcha. but this Rainbow website, uh, Rainbow Sapphire Jewelers website, is only three years old. Mm-hmm. Before that, I didn't have it at my own site. I was selling it under a different umbrella, but now I have the, the unique niche line of RainbowSapphireJewelers.com. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you started out on eBay, uh, getting feedback there. And when you went to your own sites, how did you do the marketing? 
for these sites? Was it just <laughs> organic traffic or? For the first five years, I think I worked between 15 and 18 hours a day, mm. sitting in my room on my laptop, just trying to work it out, just concentrating and trying to work out step by step as to what was mm-hmm. necessary to market, to sell, to produce. Yeah, it was. I did it all myself in the beginning. It was yeah. just a one-man show. So you were just doing outreach to, like, say, blogs or PR outlets or kind of... Um, back in the day, I don't think blogs existed for me 10 guess, years yeah, ago. Yeah. No, what I was doing is I was I was buying other domain names. Like, for example, if I was selling Zavarai Green Garnet, then I would own Zavarai Green Garnet dot WS or dot gotcha. net. Yeah. And I was creating, like, content on those websites that was the rich content on those websites. And then I would funnel my traffic into my websites through gotcha. other domains. So you were actually writing just a crap ton of content yeah. for 15 hours. Yeah, and it was really terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I look back at what I did, I was like, wow, it's really amateurish. Yeah, and you said, earlier, you, can't, you, said earlier, you can't really speak English, too. So imagine <laughs> yeah. writing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my writing's not too bad. What's considered um, gray hat today in SEO? Yeah. Like I was doing seven years ago. Yeah, like having Cedar sites that you build content on that link yeah. to your main site. Like that's kind of what the private blog networks are now. Right, so. right. But I guess back then, no one really knew how to... No, I was testing and yeah, I was really like hustling, trying to make it work. Yeah, so you were kind of doing... So you were just writing a bunch of content, getting the long tail funneled to your main site. Absolutely. Really, it's kind of like white hat, but not really gray hat either I, I didn't even know what white hat gray hat yeah. black hat was back then yeah. I had no idea I was just flying by the city and my pants it was just all manual like you're sitting in a room building this thing yeah. yeah in an unair conditioned room with boxer shorts on a plastic seat <laughs> for 18 hours a day just like getting it done 7 days a week for 5 yeah. years I really like sacrificed everything to make this work yeah and so when you started seeing success for these sites did you um, start doing looking into other channels like say paid traffic or what does the mix look like now between like these main sites um my first, the first investment I made was with uh, an Israeli company, an Israeli marketing company, mm-hmm. and they changed completely changed my business model. Actually, I went backwards. By yeah. I lost fifty percent of my sales within two year period. They tried to turn my niche in what I created in five years in a niche. They tried to cast back out it like a wide blanket. So going back to sapphires and diamonds and emeralds. Oh, they went to niche. Yeah, they they just tried to make me yeah more generic, and that was wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. Um, so the first attempt at employing an outside company didn't work. Yeah. So what does it look like now? Are you doing AdWords now too? Or? Yeah. Now I I have AdWords. I had uh, several campaigns set up by a guy in the DC called Simon Price, mm-hmm. and uh, the AdWords look okay. Because yeah. when you're selling jewelry, that's one k. 2K, you can kind of afford to acquire people at a higher cost, too. Yeah, definitely. I guess that, right? Yeah, Whereas my acquisition selling- cost is quite high. But I think the beautiful thing about what I do is that the customer service is strong, the product is strong. So, like, okay, although the customer acquisition cost is high, it's all about the repeat business. Yeah. So what happens is, is over the years, I have these, these customers that consider me they're like their private jeweler, mm-hmm. and they love it. And they're always coming back. Every time they want something made, they're constantly coming back for for repeat business and designing themselves and they come to me with a budget it's cool I just make it it's fantastic and I think people who can afford 5k on a necklace they have friends who can also buy the same thing too right when they go to a party they say hey where'd you get this oh I got this on the website yeah absolutely go to you absolutely absolutely and I think like if you google my name or google any of my companies you'll find very little like maybe one comment in 10 years like negative against me so I think that's also very very important having like no black marks against you on the internet yeah, especially in jewelry where it's really, I guess everything's reputation based, but yeah. especially with high price item, it's even more sensitive. Definitely, too. definitely. I think that too. So you have eight sites now, and you're trying. How many are you trying to sell? 
Yeah. I'm trying to sell like three bundled together mm-hmm. because it makes sense because those three companies use the same factory. It's just mm-hmm. a small little factory and they only require one employee between the gotcha. three companies. So it's, it makes sense for me to bundle three of them together. So that's like, it's the HerkimaDiamondQuartz.com site, but it's also the HerkimaDiamondQuartz Etsy store and a Shadar Sof Etsy store because they're all similar styles. They're using the same manufacturing and they got like really low cost. So I'm trying to sell those three sites right now to free my mind. It takes a lot of energy to run eight companies. Yeah, and like you said earlier, the headspace, it takes it yeah. in your head and you can focus on the bigger businesses. Exactly, exactly. So I want to free that up. Um, so all three of those companies I'm selling right now for like $120,000. Then there's another one, the zabrigarangana.com, which I want 305000 mm. And although that hasn't made a sale yet, the thing yeah. is, is the hard asset. It's the a- Sourcing that, yeah. I mean, that's, that takes a lifetime for anyone else to source that physical asset because yeah. it's really difficult and rare material to source. And I've yeah. got some really fine material and it's all been cut by Sir Rodney Beatty. Mm-hmm. Who's, again, Just by his reputation, could probably yeah. I mean, the guy's a gemologist. He's he's been cutting um, gemstones for close to forty eight years. Mm-hmm. Just his eye for detail when it comes to cutting fine stone. He's really really amazing cutter. So the stones you can guarantee they're all like really high quality, nice yeah. cutting. So what do you think your customers look for when they're buying these jewelries? Like they know the stone's good, but what's on a deeper level? Is it like the fact that they can wear something? that their friends don't have or what, what are they looking for? Yeah, most of my customers that come to me um, that buy this rare stuff, is, is, um, they're different type of people. They want something that no one else has. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason that, that I buy the stones. I want something that no one else is selling because yeah. it's actually easier to sell, although it's a bear market. Yeah. It's easier to sell something that no one else has than to go into a, a, a fully saturated market. And I think my customers are like that as well. You know, like a doctor that has all the money in the world can buy anything he wants, but yeah. to find this rare mineral yeah. that no one else has makes him feel good. So yeah. yeah, a lot of my customers want something that no one else has, that that's not common, that's uncommon, that's mm-hmm. untraditional. Yeah, there was something I saw Seth Godin at a fashion conference uh, this summer and he was saying uh, from this new startup and he was saying well what do you buy your wife when she has three Birkin bags already right or three Tiffany rings like you can't buy her another one like this doesn't right. make sense right so I think people are looking for something different right where kind of you fall into that niche too right definitely like my favorite stones are stones that change color naturally alexandrite mm-hmm. Uh, color change garnet mm-hmm. color change sapphire so even though it's a sapphire mm-hmm. in the morning it may be blue under natural daylight but in the evening under incandescent light it may be raspberry or it may mm. be purple or red and it happens naturally is this because of the temperature change or light um, yeah or? the 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 temperature of the light these natural phenomenons that happen is really rare and uh, it happens naturally in nature and that's just a beautiful thing so that's the sort of stone that i would collect and that's the sort of stone that you could sell to this customer that has everything yeah. Because they don't have everything. They haven't got this. They haven't got this. They haven't got this. Yeah. And it's so difficult to source. Very valuable. Yeah. So, so when, when you say it. it's valuable, how do you price something like that then? Like say, I've seen your site, you have jewelry from say, you know, $500 to like 10 Like, How do you determine the price of it? Because I think a, a lot of people starting out, I think there's a pricing thing where if I charge too high, I might alienate, alienate customers, but it's always never what you think it is too. So how did you come up with this pricing for different jewelries? Um, well... How I started pricing rare and hard to find minerals was that, say for example, my Tafiyite or Muscovite collection. So it took me five years to acquire the hard asset, mm-hmm. collecting the stone. So, okay, well, money has to make money. So if I invested, say, $100,000 over five years, I work out what that money should have made me. 
and okay now that hundred thousand owes me two hundred thousand as a cost mm -hmm. and then I just multiplied it by 3.5 mm -hmm. and that's my figure I mean I don't have like a special formula there's no market research it's just like okay 3.5 mm -hmm. and you found that customers are just willing to accept a 3.5 or whatever it tends to be at that point in time or? but if no one else is selling it then, right. then, yeah. then how do they know what the price actually is yeah that's true so yeah they always accept it so, so I guess the takeaway is that if someone's starting today you want to find something that you can really dominate from the sourcing into the distribution because then you can have the pricing power to really oh absolutely if you look online now for the Tafii price yeah. the prices they're selling at now were created by me and that probably will be stay forever there. they'll yeah. probably stay like that forever yeah. uh, until I go back into the market and create a new price and it happens with everything I do I've found that with the rare and hard to find things that I've done online, I've created the price. Mm -hmm. And then it's just stuck around for years. So how do you deal with like say fakes or things that are like cheaper quality? In, an, in the factories that I buy from, from the stone, they go through a couple sets of gemologists to begin with. Mm -hmm. So they go under these guys' eyes, they go under the, all the instruments mm -hmm. to tell whether fakes real. The guess work has been done. Then when I receive it, I do my own investigation. And actually what's interesting is the cleaner the stone, like the, if a flawless stone is very difficult to tell, real, not real, because there's no natural fingerprints within the stone. Yeah. But say a stone that's not so clean, it's not internally flawless, I can recognize the fingerprint that the stone has and go, ah, I know that, I know that fingerprint. I know that fingerprint belongs to, to this variety of gemstone. I know what that is. Mm. So it goes through professional sets of eyes, then it goes under my eyes, and then when I have the confidence it is a genuine stone, then I'll sell it. And is it genuine is kind of like just, there is some ruggedness to these stones, right? Because part of geology, nothing's perfect, I guess, too, right? Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, in a, in a lot of stones that I sell, um, a lot of beauty in the stone is the inclusions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you look at rutilated quartz, it's full of rutiles. Yeah. So it's quartz with uh, golden rutiles or tourmaline inside the quartz yeah. i mean that's the beautiful thing about the the stone itself is the inclusions the fingerprints yeah it's funny it's the same thing with leather too like if you look at the fake leathers they always look really perfect because right. a, a real cow would have scratches and run against the barbed wire it, like a tusk well you could get cuts here and there right? i mean it shows up on the actual skin but sometimes they shave it off right to perfect it and usually that's when you can tell like, oh this doesn't look natural but like the more shiny it is the more I guess even it is the more unnatural, which is kind of counterintuitive because most people think, oh, why is there imperfection here? Right. It shouldn't be that way. It's only been the last three years that I've started to sell stones of the highest quality, like mm -hmm. perfect stones. Yeah. I had to get to a level where I was so confident in looking into the stone and learning from the people around me that I was able to go out there and buy stones on my own outside the factory. So it's only in the last few years that I've actually started to sell almost perfect stones, world-class yeah. quality, yeah. because I didn't have the confidence before. I, had, I relied on having those fingerprints, those flaws mm -hmm. within the stone in order to tell what it was. Yeah. But for the average person that buys a stone, they have no idea. Yeah, they I don't have look, no idea. Yeah, yeah. They don't look into under the, a microscope at a stone. They just trust that the seller is selling something. Yeah. Um, and the reviews of people who are buying right. it from you. Right. So now I've partnered with Sir Rodney Beattie. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a gemologist as well and also a good trusted friend. So... Everything goes under Rod's eye as well. He puts his signature to everything nowadays. Yes. So, so now, he has his own certification type of thing. Yeah, too, yeah. yeah. I mean, we send a certificate of authenticity yeah. um, with all our high-end purchases now. He checks over all the stones, and when he's happy, then they get put into my inventory, into my database, and mm -hmm. they, get, they get sold. Gotcha. So one thing I want to ask, too, is if you have 
the inventory of all these precious stones, has there anyone been trying to like buy you guys out or like any bigger companies that have been trying to take you under their wings or? No, it has it hasn't happened like that. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I because, because it sounds like you would fit right under some bigger company's separate arm. But I don't know if that's the way the industry works or. Um, with the Rainbow Sapphire, um, there is competition there, and yes, it makes sense for them to buy me out. Yeah. But no, I wouldn't because I'm about to do something quite unique and special yeah. in the next three months. I know I've had a lot of hate mail from competition saying they're in the Herkimer Diamond Quartz business. Yeah. I go into a business so hard and strong and set it up so so well, I suppose, that yeah. I eliminate the competition within a 12-month period. Yeah. So I, I know it sounds bad, but like I ruin their lifestyle. Like from one day that they're at the mine buying the stone and selling their, their, from the mine and they're selling retail online. Yeah. And I walk in with an idea and I just take away all their all yeah. their business within a 12 month period I just really like obliterate the competition so there's a lot of people that when I first get into these niche businesses that send me hate mail like hey you're ruining our lives like, well, what, do you want like, to, what do you yeah. want me to do I'm yeah. successful at what I'm doing what do you want me to do yeah and do you find it crazy that you got here so far from just being down to like a dollar like, do you ever reflect back on that day and be like wow like you know it's funny the people I hang around in Bangkok are all between the ages of 60 and 83 I don't have any friends really in Bangkok in this business that's younger than 60 and none that are older than 83 yeah. but they've all yeah they've all say it's quite remarkable because to be in this business most people are born into the business yeah. or they've come into the business with millions of dollars um, it's quite rare that someone so young is given the opportunity to come into the business or survived in this business mm -hmm. and I, I think it was just like good mentoring from a good family friend of mine um, yeah. from the beginning about ethics and work work ethic and my own uh, personal drive to succeed um, just made it work. It was the right formula. Yeah. You know, Where do you think your personal drive comes from? Was it like never wanting to be back down to a dollar again or certain lifestyle you wanted? No, or? it wasn't that at all. It just, whatever I do, I just want to do it to the best of my ability and I'm constantly taking that to a new level. So it was just my, my, my expectations on myself. It was never the money. It was never anything else. It was just myself um, doing the best that I could and then bettering that, just upping yeah. the game constantly. And even today, it's like this. I mean, even today, I'm worth like there's 75 cents in the bank. You know, it's all about the business. It's not about the money. It's yeah. about making a better product, a better service, and upping the game constantly. Yeah, yeah. And one thing you mentioned earlier was about mentorship. And I guess, do you want to talk about the mentor you had earlier? Yeah, I've had a few mentors mm -hmm. um, in, in Bangkok. There's been uh, a couple of guys. One guy was 83 years old, and he was just mentoring me on buying and selling of stone, but, but the worth, work ethic. He was constantly drilling into me, uh, work ethic, having no friends and sacrifice, just like the things that people would normally do at, at the age of 25, 26, 27, being out there partying and hanging yeah. around, having girlfriends, and just, he would constantly drill me on what it takes to become successful. And I think uh, it was it played a really important part in, in where I am today. Because I think a lot of the times... When you try to find a mentor, you don't know if you found the right one either, right? When you're trying to just still green to everything. What do you think made you really resonate with him? Or? Although there's a massive gap in our age, mm -hmm. we think so similarly. He's an Afghan-born citizen, yeah. American-educated. His birthday is three days before mine. We have the same taste in food, women, mm -hmm. lifestyle, yeah. gemstones. Um, I never knew he was my mentor. I, di I didn't know yeah. what was happening at that time for the mm -hmm. first three, four, five years. I mean, I didn't know he was my mentor until I looked back and reflected and went, ah, he was my mentor. Yeah. I was just like taking in what he said and thinking about it and just trying to be a better person and trying to create a better product, a better business 
as a result of what his input was. Yeah. But it all comes down to yourself. I mean, if you don't have the drive, if you don't have the ability to focus on what you're doing, I think, you know, mentor and a strong mentor or a weak mentor, you'll fail. Yeah. When you, when you say focus and drive, what were some of the things you gave up when he told you, like, work ethic, work ethic? Cool. Uh, well, there wasn't anything that I, that I had. Good meals, car, a decent unit, even a good laptop. You know, I was working on a on a chunky five kilogram AC lap, uh, Acer laptop. Yeah. I mean, I sacrificed everything. I wouldn't even have my aircon running in my apartment because I didn't want to spend the money for electricity. Yeah. So I think I sacrificed everything. Yeah. You know, fr- I had no friends for five years. I just worked. Say, like in year three, what made you realize that? Or did you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Or like five years is a really, really long time. Yeah, but it went, pa- it went really, really fast. Mm-hmm. It really did go fast because uh, I was really enjoying it. I enjoyed the success, the personal success of creating the videos and, and making a sale and yeah. these small, small uh, steps that of success that I was reaching made me more hungry for it. I just never lost sight of that and I never thought about it. I never thought about what... Because I never had anything like because i never had the friends or the lifestyle i wasn't missing anything when you start out and you see that sale and you realize it's the work you've done the past one or two months then you're like all right i gotta put more in because then more will come back right? is that the right. same mindset we're getting at yeah it was or? a snowball effect yeah, yeah for sure it was an absolute snowball effect and so for someone that's looking for a mentor you know you've been in this business for eight years what would you tell yourself if they were looking for a mentor or someone else like what should, what should they look for what should they avoid because i know some mentors try to make people into what they were or what they couldn't be and I think when you're starting out it's hard to avoid that too so what would you say? I mean you should always surround yourself with people that are older or better than you that have more life experience that are more knowledgeable um, even today I don't have any friends my own age and yeah. I think that that really helps yeah. having friends that are younger than, you, younger than you have less experience than you you yeah. can't really learn so much from them yeah. although it's different in the DC group there's a lot of intelligent yeah. Yeah. people in, in, in this group yeah. and some of the guys in the DC they're probably like 18, 20, but you give them five years where mm. we were when we were right. like 18. Like they're they're going to crush it. It's like remarkable where some of these people are in the yeah. DC. Yeah. It's being over here in Saigon and, and yeah. meeting this group. It's it's yeah. really inspiring. Like it's still a young crowd, but you can see the trajectory of some of these younger guys. Absolutely. Like, like Absolutely. I, I wish I was 18 and knew what you knew, right? Right. If I could go back yeah. and just know this group five years ago, I think I'd be five times yeah. uh, further ahead than I am now. Yeah. It's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get where I am right now. Yeah. Like one thing I think a lot of. It takes is humility too to be the dumbest guy in the room. Oh, absolutely! Because when you're the dumbest guy, that's the only time you can learn. Right? I constantly feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's a good thing in the sense that that's how you become a better person, you become better at business, you learn new things, you try new things, and you kind of plant the seeds to down the road to see more success too. Anyone that knows me knows I'm not highly intelligent. I just <laughs> I think all it is is really is just work ethic. Yeah. Just like really believing in yourself and and concentrating on a, on your craft and being the best you can be at it. And surround yourself with winners. Yeah, like I think we've only met each other what three times, four yep. times. Like I, when I'm talking to you, I feel like there's this intensity you have to focus on things, and yeah. then just be like, "Fuck everything else!" Like, let's do this. Yeah, I'm really passionate about what yeah. I do. Whatever I do, I'm always passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, whether it be like attending yoga, or riding, racing motorbikes, yeah. or training dogs, or gemstones, or women. I mean, I'm really passionate about what yeah. it, whatever it is I'm into at that moment. Yeah. I'm really passionate. And what I love about the gemstone and jewelry business is it changes every day. Yeah. New stones, new jewelry, fashion changes. You're learning something new. It's not like a mundane job. So it's different every day. And I love that about this business. It's the same as dog training. It's new. It's every day. It's something different. You teach the dog something else. You understand something about the dog every day. It's that in itself is 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 enough motivation for me to uh, 
to to be to be to want to become better at what I do. What I think I do best is connect the dots. Yeah, I'm um, just a master at connecting the dots. I don't think there's like anything one particular thing I do is special. Mm-hmm. I just think I connect uh, the dots better than yeah. other people. Yeah, with lower risk. And you probably move faster too than most people. Oh, definitely. In your competition too. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have the ability to make um, decisions faster and yeah. like. Uh, have confidence in myself that it's going to work and I'll just work until the end of time until I, I achieve my goals absolutely and just to wrap things up here because um, we have a lot of people that are looking to start stores that listen to this maybe they're a year or two in mm. do you have any advice for them before we wrap things up here because you've been in this business for what eight years now yeah go as niche as you can mm-hmm. it's much easier to get out of say the Google sandbox being a niche site um, surround yourself with people that are better than you in the business and learn from them um, don't tell them what you're going to do just sit there and listen to them I think like just listening to the experts um, is very very valuable as opposed to like spewing out ideas yeah. and wasting people's time also like joining groups such as the DC yeah. I think it can really really help with your online business for sure yeah. I think it's a very valuable part of of uh, building a business. Yeah. Well, I guess let me ask you one more question. So, you've been in the business for eight years. How have you filtered out advice that's good for you and bad for you? Because there's certainly people saying you should do this, but they probably don't know what they're talking about, right? So, how do you yeah. filter that out? I don't know how to switch my brain off. So, I suppose when I hear something, I just think about it intensely for a couple of days before mm-hmm. I make a decision. And if it, if it feels right for me, if it feels natural to make that decision, then I make it. Yeah. If it doesn't feel natural or I'm not sure, then I'll think about it for another few days. I mean, just think about it and think about it and think about it. And when you're comfortable, make the decision and don't hesitate. Yeah. Don't look back. Yeah. That's for sure. Because you just sit there and think about it. doesn't get anything done. Right? Yeah, there's a lot of people that pro- procrastinate yeah. and spend too much time thinking and not doing anything. Yeah, you need to move fast and run. Yeah. Run, run as fast as you can. Yeah, awesome. Well, speaking of running, we're kind of running out of time here. So uh, thanks, Trent, for coming on for the show. And we'll keep in touch. I'll see you in Bangkok in what, October and January when you come back here to Saigon. So nice to have you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. And if you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.